test. There we go. Good morning. We'll try that again. It is uh, great to be with you on this uh, sunny and exciting day, huh? Wow. Um, I am excited to be here. I'm grateful and humbled for the opportunity to serve you this morning through the preaching of the Word, and uh, I'm grateful uh, that God gives me an opportunity to serve Him in that capacity, along with other capacities, um, and uh, I'm excited to worship God on this day. I was thinking on the way in here, on the way over here this morning, I was reminded of Job saying that God controls the path of the thunderstorms, and I was saying, all right, God, let's keep it off me as much as we can while I'm driving in, and he did that, uh, but it is truly exciting to be with you this morning. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. It will probably be a familiar psalm when we begin to work our way through this. Psalm chapter 27. And this morning we will be focusing more on the first six verses. It is a psalm of 14 verses, but we will uh, stay in the first six verses um, and see what God has to share with us through Psalm 27. Before we do that, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to please bow with me in prayer this morning. Father, we are honored to be in your house, God. We are honored to be in the place of worship, Lord, to be in a place of fellowship, where we can fellowship with our brothers and our sisters, our friends and our allies, and God, where we can hear from you where we can talk to you. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we would do both. I pray that we would sing to you and talk to you and express who we are to you and express our emotions to you, express our thoughts and our attitudes, our desires and our wants. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, you would express the same things to us. And I pray, God, as you express back to us your attitude and your heart for things and your thoughts and your desires for our lives, Lord, I pray that ours would melt, that they would begin to mold to fit yours, Lord, that our desires and our attitudes and our heart would begin to look like yours. And God, we know that that happens through your word. We are honored today to hear from your word. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to stand before family, brothers and sisters in you, and to share a message that you've laid on my heart, and I pray, God, that you would fill in the holes that I will inevitably leave, leave, and I pray, God, that you would speak. I pray, God, that we would listen, and I pray, God, that we would be changed. Lord, this time is yours. Be honored, be glorified. Help us to tune our hearts to you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching a show called Storm Chasers. Have you seen this show? I was uh, watching the Weather Channel looking at uh, the tropical storm Lee that is upon us now and just wondering what Lee was going to do. And I had I left the room for a little while and came back, and this show called Storm Chasers was on the Weather Channel. And I've never seen it, and I saw a little five-minute snippet, I guess, of the show, and it's where, uh, if you've seen it, you know a lot more than I do about it, Uh, but 
It's where these guys get in a vehicle and they find out through the meteorology and all of that where a tornado is going to hit, where a tornado or the likelihood uh, that a tornado is going to hit in a certain place. And so they go to this place hoping to see the tornado. But not only to see the tornado, I found out, but to experience the tornado. And it's incredible. These dudes are crazy. They were in an SUV, and they, they've got their thermometer on the vehicle, and they've got instruments inside so they, they know exactly what to look for with the temperature. And so they said the temperature's rising. The storm is it's on us, and they're driving still towards it. They're not going away. And they're watching the clouds, and they're watching the rain, and they know exactly where to go and exactly what to do to get to this storm. And they're driving towards it, and a, a tree flies in front of them. It looked like Twister. It did, the movie Twister. A tree flies in front of them. They run over the tree, and they keep going. And they say, hey, there was a log in the road. We, we just kept going. And you could see them move because they get hit with something else. And then all of a sudden, there's a calm that comes over them. And they say, the temperature has risen four degrees. We're here. It's on us. And I'm thinking, you have lost your mind. And all of a sudden, they, they say, it's hitting us now. The tornado is hitting them. And it's moving their vehicle. And they're in the tornado. Apparently, it was a smaller tornado. And then it's gone, and they are so excited because they were just hit with a tornado. And I'm thinking, these guys are crazy to chase a tornado, to pursue a tornado. And it was an amazing pursuit that they were in as they were trying to get to this storm and looking at everything to try their best to get to this storm in pursuit of this storm. As I was thinking about that and thinking about this psalm, I was thinking about the fact that today all of us are in pursuit of something. All of us are in pursuit of something. What I propose to you this morning, and this will be our guiding thought, this will be our guiding principle as we walk through this passage. And I want to give you this principle and follow it up with a question. Whatever you are pursuing is your God. And I'm going to clarify this, I'm going to elaborate on it so you understand exactly what I'm saying. But, but this morning, know this, whatever you are pursuing, whatever it is you are in pursuit of this morning, is your God. Here's the question. Are you pursuing God? Whatever you are pursuing is your God. Are you pursuing God? I want to give you the definition of pursuit and what I mean by pursuit so that we don't play semantics and try to weasel our way out of it and say, well, that's not me. A pursuit, it is a quest. It is an effort to secure or attain something. It is an occupation or a lifestyle or the like, something like that, an occupation or a lifestyle or a hobby, a practice in which a person is engaged regularly or customarily. Let me say that again. Any occupation, pastime, or the like in which a person is engaged customarily or regularly. 
when we think about this idea of pursuit and we are pursuing something, oftentimes our lives revolve around small pursuits. We graduate high school and we are in pursuit of an education. We pick a college to go to. So we pursue that, the education, and that guides us to our next step in life. We are in pursuit of a mate, in pursuit of a spouse. And so we look for that spouse, and that guides us in ways. Then we are in pursuit of a job, and so we are looking for this job so that we can make money, so that we can possibly provide for our family, for our spouse. And life is filled with small pursuits, but there's usually one undergirding, foundational, almost a meta-narrative, the underlying story. It is a big, overarching pursuit, whether it be pursuit of success, or relationships, or prestige, or power, or popularity, or God. But we are all in pursuit of something. And what happens is this big pursuit, this overarching pursuit, this undergirding pursuit, is what we then filter all of our small pursuits through. We say, should I pursue this? Well, let me look at how that fits into my larger pursuit. So if we are pursuing God, then we filter that through our pursuit of God. And we say, will this help my pursuit of God? Will this help me get to God, get closer to God? Will this help me attain success? Will this help me attain prestige? So again, I ask you, what are you pursuing today? Whatever you are pursuing is your God. The question is, are you pursuing God? Psalm 27, as we look at this passage, it is an amazing passage of Scripture. I want to give you two principles of pursuing God. And this is my desire for us this morning, that when you leave here, you you will know for sure whether you are pursuing God, whether He is that main foundational overarching undergirding pursuit. I want you to be very clear on that when you leave here today. And I want you to know how to pursue God. What does that look like? What does it mean? And to do that, we're going to look at the man after God's own heart. It's almost a picture into to David talking about and to God. It's an incredible opportunity. As we look at the man after God's own heart, don't miss that. And how he views God and how he views his relationship to God. Psalm chapter 27, or Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. So that we will have context, we will read the whole psalm, and then we will come back and focus on the first six verses. Psalm of David, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. 
Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Verse 7, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. Verse 13, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. A powerful psalm. Very briefly, just an explanation of the psalm. Not real sure when this psalm was written by David. Uh, scholars are all over the place. One uh, good position that I saw, I guess, was when David was fleeing from Saul, when Saul was pursuing him, trying to kill him because David had become popular, more popular than Saul, and God had anointed David as the future king, ripping the kingdom from Saul. And as David uh, fleed, and, and he, if you remember the story, he went to the, to the temple where it was or to the house of God at the time, and it was there that he ate the consecrated bread, and Jesus actually referenced this in the New Testament. It was perhaps here that David writes this psalm to God. Not real sure when, but we know that David was someone who experienced trouble in his life. I mean, here was the shepherd boy who fought the bear and the lion. Here was the shepherd boy who fought the giant. Here was the shepherd boy who was anointed king, and the king despised him. And remember who Saul was. Saul was picked as king because he was head and shoulders above anyone else. He was a big dude. And Saul is now trying to kill the shepherd boy. The shepherd boy is fleeing running from his, for his life, hiding in caves as the king bears down on him. And it's in the caves that David gets to know his God. It's in the caves that David becomes king. It's in the caves, perhaps, that David pins this psalm to the Lord. The psalm is divided into two parts, verses 1 through 6, as you See, their third person. David is talking about God. Verses 7 through 14, David is talking to God. The first six verses are a statement of trust, of confidence in who God is and what God can do. And it forms the foundation for verses 7 through 14, which are petitions from David, which is an awesome principle for we who are believers this morning. Truth is, our prayer lives are not very good in the contemporary Western church. I believe it's because when we look at Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6, we tend to not have that view of God, which leads us to lack confidence in God, which leads us to not petition God the way that David did. We want to deal with these, verse, these first six verses where David is talking about God. What is he saying about pursuing God? What is a pursuit of God look like the first thing that I want you to know this morning is the person in pursuit of God those people in pursuit of God people who are pursuing God trust in God's provision 
people in pursuit of God, people pursuing God, trust in God's provision. Look at what David says here in Psalms 27. He begins by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And we get a picture here of three provisions of God. Three provisions that God has given to David, that David has because of God. And it's interesting as we look at these three provisions, these are all three things that we seek after in our own life. And often we are in pursuit of something that we believe will give us these three things that David acknowledges have come from God. I want to show you that this morning. Remember, those in pursuit of God trust in God's provision, particularly for these three things. But David begins, the Lord is my. Just pause right there. Notice the three times that David acknowledges that something is from God or something is related to God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Notice the personal pronoun. David does not say the Lord is a or an. He does not say the Lord is the. He doesn't say that someone told me one time that the Lord is. He doesn't say that I read one time that the Lord is. David says, I know through experiential faith who God is and what God can do. Do you this morning? David says, I know through experiential faith who God is and what he can do. And again, I ask you this morning, do you know God through experiential faith who he is and what he can do? For David, it was not theory. It was not something someone told him. It was something that he had seen personally in his life. And we have to begin there. Trusting in God's provision. It begins with how we see God and God's relationship to our life. If we are experiencing God's movement and God's work in our life. Are you doing that? The Lord is my light. Pause there. You think about in this ancient world. I mean, now we have light bulbs of all different colors, you can see. We have lights. We have street lights. We have all kinds of lights. It's amazing, the light that we have. But take away the light bulb. Take away electricity and walk out into a field of Bethlehem. Walk out into the wilderness of Israel without any light. The only light is the sun. When we look back on ancient history, we look at this period of time, and the people worshipped the sun. Why did they worship the sun? Because it was the source of light. Light was a big deal then. And whatever was the source of light, you worshipped that. You wanted to appease that source of light. You wanted to please it. So what happens in Genesis chapter 1? We see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth says the earth was formless, void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. This is to a group of people. Moses penning this book is trying to give them a picture of who God is and what God has done and what God can do in their life. They're coming out of a polytheistic culture that worshiped the sun. And where does he begin? In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Saying, 
The sun is not the source of light. God is the source of light. Interestingly, you walk through the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 and 20, it tells us that one day we will no longer need the sun because God is the source of light, which mirrors Revelation chapter 21 that says we will not need light. The glory of God will be the light, and the Lamb will be the lamp. Amen. God is the source of light. When we think about this idea of light, one commentator said that it would be very appropriate to say and equate light with life, with joy, with happiness. So get what David is saying here. The Lord is my joy. The Lord is my happiness. The Lord is my contentment. Let me ask you this morning. What is the source of your happiness? What is the source of your joy? What is the source of your contentment? Is it success? Is it money? Oftentimes we can look at when we are happy and when we are sad to see very clearly what it is that makes us happy and makes us sad. Circumstances change and it makes us happy. They change, it makes us sad. David, who is running for his life, says, The Lord is my joy. The Lord is my happiness. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. I still have joy. I still have contentment because I still have God. No matter what else happens. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God exists to make us happy. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is because God exists, we should be happy. That is why the missionary on the foreign field right now can have nothing and be persecuted and still have joy in the Lord. David says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is the source of my joy and my happiness and my contentment. This is what I fear because, I'll be honest with you this morning, I'm just going to be as real and as transparent, as transparent as I can this morning. Some of the most miserable people that I know are believers. And that's really frustrating to me. How in this world could we have God in our life and be miserable? How in this world can we have met the source of light? The source of light who brought light into the world, John tells us. He is the light of the world. And we have him now living inside of us. Yet, as one man said, we look like we've been baptized in lemon juice often. This is what I propose. I believe that many, I hesitate to say most, that many believers have formed a dangerous equation when it comes to joy and happiness. And this is the equation that I believe many believers have formed. God plus, fill in the blank with whatever, money, success, power, prestige. God plus, fill in the blank, equals joy. We include God. I mean, we let God in on the party, right? Obviously, you can't truly have joy and contentment and happiness without God. We know that. But it's God plus whatever. 
And so we tack on God because we kind of have to have God in there to be happy, and we really want to be happy. But what I propose to you this morning, that whatever it is we are filling in the blank, we are in pursuit of. And know this, and I caution you in this, that whatever it is we replace God with becomes our God. So if it's God plus fill in the blank, and we begin to pursue that, it overtakes God's role in our life, and it becomes our God. What is the source of your joy? What is the source of your happiness? What is the source of your contentment? The Lord is my light and my salvation. What a powerful word picture here in Psalm 27. This idea of salvation uh, during this day, it was an incredible word picked up from another language. It actually means, the root of it is, uh, we'll get to that, but it means to make wide and to make sufficient as opposed to being restrained, as opposed to being bound and being narrow, you are made wide. You are made capable. It's possible now. But it's interesting that it could only happen through an outside source because there's something on you that is restraining you. There's something around you that is binding you, that is keeping you bound, that is keeping you contained and it takes an outside source to break off the restraints to make you sufficient to make you wide it was used in non-theological ways when Moses went and saved the daughters saved that word was used the daughters of Ruel from the would-be robbers and attackers he was the deliverer he was the source of salvation he was the outside source who had come to a people who couldn't take care of themselves and he delivered them he did the same when he delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage constantly pointing to the true source of salvation which is a theme throughout the Old Testament. As they come into the promised land, the source of their salvation is who? It's not Joshua the leader. It's not the army of Israel. It's God. He is the outside source who is providing deliverance, who is providing salvation. I hope that you have already gone to the New Testament with that idea because this word that is used is the word yes, where we get Yeshua, you notice that word, Jesus. Same word from which Jesus' name is derived is used here when David says, the Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the outside source that is providing me freedom. What I wonder this morning is what's the source of your salvation? And I believe that just in the same way that we did it with joy, we do it with salvation. We have this dangerous equation where we include God, but it's God plus fill in the blank equals salvation. And then we begin to pursue that, whether it be good works, whether it be family heritage, whatever it might be. We begin to pursue that and it becomes our God. What is the source of your salvation? Know that whatever it is you are replacing God with, it is becoming your God. 
But the salvation was not just in a spiritual sense that we look at salvation and it's eternal. It was a temporal, it was a physical salvation. Because David goes on, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And this is a place, a position of security. When you look back at the Old Testament and you think about God as the source of salvation, it was often a source of, of apologetics to go and, and approach the foes or the enemies of God and they worship a false or a foreign God and you would basically say, as Elijah did on Mount Carmel, my God challenges your God, as David did when he stepped out to Goliath. My God challenges your God. And we will see whoever's God comes to their salvation, whoever's God comes to the rescue, that God is God and should be worshipped. It goes on all around the world right now. You go into Africa, into the jungles of Africa, they don't care about your God until your God proves himself that he is the God of salvation, that he is the deliverer. I'm reminded of the story of Boniface, the missionary to Germany. In medieval times, Boniface is sent to Germany. He goes there. They are a group of people that were worshiping a tree. They believed that this tree had magical and mystical powers. Boniface begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they say, that's not true. That's, that is a false gospel. That is a false religion. And Boniface says, okay, allow me to prove it to you. And one day he goes out and he chops down their tree. And as he's chopping, they're saying, our God, the God of that tree, is going to strike you dead. And Boniface says, if he does, then he's God. But if he doesn't, then you have to listen to me because my God is God. Guess what? Their God didn't come kill Boniface. And Boniface led the leader to the Lord. And that's how the missionary enterprise in Germany began. Is that not incredible? But isn't that what we see through all of Scripture? We see the God, the God of Jericho, where God takes them up there and he says, this is how you're going to fight. You're going to stand there and you're going to watch me deliver you because I am the source of your salvation. It's not your army. It's not Joshua. It's me. Now walk around the wall. I'm going to lay it down and you go in and take it. I am the source of your deliverance. David, this boy shouldn't have gone out against this Goliath, against this giant. God says, I am the source of your salvation. I am the source of your deliverance. And what's incredible is this idea of salva salvation. The people for generations, as you see through the Old Testament, they always look back on the Exodus experience. And they talk about what God did when he delivered the people, when he led them through the Red Sea, when he led them into the Promised Land. And they talk about those events and they say, our God saved us. Our God redeemed us. He delivered us. He is the source of our salvation. Therefore, we should continue to worship him and continue to give our lives to him because he has proved proven himself. Let me ask you this. What is the source of your security? I've got to be honest with you. I, I'm struggling. I have struggled and I will continue to struggle with this. And I want to give you two very practical ways. And I just want to give you an insight into what I'm dealing with as I walk through this. Because in some ways, God is not the source of my security. And I'll show you why. I'm having to drive this morning in through a tropical storm. 
married now, we will celebrate our fifth year anniversary in a few weeks. Well, in one week, actually, this weekend. Now have a three-week-old daughter. And I'm thinking, man, you know, the storm is coming. I don't want to drive through this. I better make sure I'm driving well. I better make sure all of these things. And all of a sudden, I begin looking everywhere else for my security, for my safety, rather than getting on my knees before God and saying, God, you are the source of my security. Even if my tires go flat, you can inflate them and keep me going if you want to. You are the source of my security. Another way that I'm struggling right now. Two ways, actually. When I was born, my mom was working in a bank. She began a, she bought stock in this bank. Eventually those stocks grew for a college fund. It's not a lot, but it's enough. It's money, right? So what I do is I shifted them to a good friend who, who has put them somewhere. And oftentimes when financial troubles hit, I go, well, at least that's there, right? At least I have security in that. And my wife and I have been praying. We're struggling with it right now because I don't want that to be my security. It shouldn't be my security. And so we're praying right now, God, do you want us to use that to adopt a kid? Do you want us to give it away? We don't want to trust in that, Lord. And if it takes me getting rid of that so that I don't trust in it, please help me to do that. I don't want my security in financial bonds and financial stocks. I don't want my security in insurance if it means giving up all of that and saying, I trust you, God. You can do it. You are sufficient to deliver me, to protect me. You are my source of salvation. Now, am I saying all of that stuff is wrong? No. I'm not saying it's bad. This is what I'm saying. Trusting in that as your security is wrong, and that's bad, and it's sin. My prayer for all of us today is that we would sit down with everything in our life and say, am I trusting that more than God? Is that my security? If it is, then I've got to get rid of it because it is becoming my God. And God wants no competitors. What is the source of your security? Again, that equation, God plus Whatever it is, equals security is a dangerous equation. Know this, the psalmist had some very real enemies and foes. He uses two rhetorical questions here. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, obviously that means that there's somebody that he should fear, right? There's something very significant that is coming against him. And he it's, it's amazing what he does. He gives... Three descriptions of God. The Lord is my light, my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And he does the same with the enemies. When evil men advanced against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies, when my foes, mirroring God, he's saying this is a very significant source of fear. These enemies are very significant. Two verbs to describe them. They advance against me to devour to do that, it's just heightening the seriousness of his enemies. And he looks and they have encamped around him. The idea, when, when enemies would encamp, it's like a small town. It's like a village. And he looks out there and he says, why should I fear that? 
Remember what Jesus said. There's only one whom we should fear, and that's God himself. And David looks out there, and he sees the enemies. And he says, there's only one person I should fear, only one being I should fear, and that's God. God's on my side. I have nothing to worry about out there. Nothing to worry about. They cannot take me. Because to take me, they'd have to take my God. And that will not happen. Those in pursuit of God trust in God's provision. The second thing is we are bringing this to a close. And this is one that, I'm just going to be honest, I've been walking through this passage now for over a week. And it is challenging me. And I just want to move through verse 4 of this passage, which is the most familiar verse in this passage. But this is what I want to ask you. Oftentimes we say, well, yeah, God is the source of my joy and my contentment and my happiness. Yes, God is the source of my salvation. Yes, God is the source of my security. But notice that David did not say God gives me light. God gives me salvation. God gives me a strong home. He said God is those things. Yes, he provides those things. Remember I said, whatever it is that we are pursuing is our God. Are you pursuing God? Let me, if I may, take that a little bit deeper to another level. Because oftentimes this is what we do as believers. We begin to pursue the provisions of God over God himself. God is your joy or your happiness. Please don't get that confused and think that joy or happiness is your God. God is your salvation. Please don't get that confused and say salvation is your God. God is your security. Please don't get that confused and say security is your God. You are not to pursue the provisions and the ancillary benefits of God. You are to pursue God and those things come. But often what we do is we get close enough to God that we get a little comfort, a little security, a little salvation. We get just close enough, but we don't want to get too close. Mindful of, of the Israelites in Exodus 19 when God descends on the mountain. They say, we want to get close, God, but not too close. You're kind of scaring us here. Those in pursuit of God, they trust God's provision, but they prioritize God's presence. Let me ask you this. Let me ask it in a way that we, you know, we often sing about heaven and the streets of gold and the pearly gates and all of our family and all that. Let me ask you this. If your family was not there, if there were no streets of gold, if it was kind of a crummy place to be, but Jesus was there, would you still want to go? What about your life? What if you had absolutely nothing, but you had Jesus? Would you be all right with that? What the psalmist says in verse 4, one scholar said, it is the most singularly pointed, it is the most singular pointed and focused statement in all of the Old Testament. Verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. Basically saying the same thing. Those two statements parallel one another. One thing I ask, this one thing is what I am seeking. Can I just pause right there for a minute? If I were to take a transcript of your prayers over the past week, over the past month, and I looked at all of the things you asked of the Lord, and there was one thing that stuck out 
above all of the other things that you repeatedly asked God for, what would it be? And I would say, this one thing seems to be on your mind when you're in the presence of God more than anything else. What is that one thing? For the psalmist, that one thing was God himself. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. This is what I pursue. It's mindful. You remember the story of Esther when she begins this relationship with King Xerxes? And Xerxes finds favor with Esther. And he says, and she comes to him, she says, I have, I have a request for you. And Xerxes says, ask whatever you want to. Up to half the kingdom, and I will give it to you. It's as if David is standing before God, and, David, and God has found favor with David. And he says, David, ask anything you want to. And David says, this is the one thing I want. I want you. I want you, God. If I could have one thing, presence is enough. The psalmist is obsessed with God. He is obsessed with the presence of God. It's all he wants. He wants perpetual communion. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't want to leave your presence, God. Please don't make me leave. He goes into the second half. He's don't hide your face from me. Don't make it hard, God, for me to see you. I just want to be communing with God all the time. Mindful of the New Testament, Mary and Martha, when Jesus tells them only one thing is needed. Mindful of the, the field where he goes and he buries the treasure and he sells everything else so that he can have that one treasure. There is one treasure Perpetual communion. Do we yearn, crave the presence of God? Do you crave the presence of God in your life? Or could you go without it? It's amazing what happens. One thing I ask the Lord, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And there are two benefits of this. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Wow. Think about that. I mean, we have gathered here, we're singing, we're praying, we're giving offering. Has it ever occurred to us to just stop and to gaze upon the beauty of our Lord? To just say, God, you are beautiful. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've provided. You are beautiful, God. I love you, God. You are so beautiful. To seek Him in His temple. The idea of seeking Him in His temple, it is an investigation. He is seeking Him with everything that He has. And He will not take any substitutes. All He wants is God. Know this. It's not facts about God. This is what I noticed, that we are often consumed with knowledge about God. Which is something, you know, an atheist can read a theology book and get some theology. Do you know that? A non-believer can read some books and get facts about God. If you asked me about my wife, I could tell you that her heart has four chambers. I could talk about her hair on her head. That she has skin, which is the largest organ in her body. That she has a dermis and an epidermis. I could talk about things that I could look in a book and tell you about my wife. Facts about my wife. 
But there are things that I know about my wife that have come from fellowship and communion. They are not facts about my wife. It is a, an intimate knowledge of her. Oftentimes we settle for facts about God instead of knowing God. And I ask you this morning, are you settling at any point in your life or are you in pursuit of God? Is God your everything? Is He the one thing you want more than anything else? Not the benefits of God, not His provision, but God Himself. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Would that be sufficient for you? And as we move into the rest of this service, I just want to ask you, as we talked about the Lord is my salvation, and God plus fill in the blank equals salvation is inadequate, it's insufficient. And if you are focusing on the, the part that's filling in the blank for your salvation, you are misled and misguided, and you will miss God. And I encourage you today, as we move into the rest of the, into the singing, we're going to have some leaders here, and if you have focused on anything else other than God for salvation, I encourage you today to get that right and to say, I know it's just God. It's not God plus. It's God. He is my salvation. But not only that, as we go and we sing songs about God, please don't just talk about God around God, around the people of God. Talk to God. Gaze upon His beauty. The one who created the world, the one who saved your life, saved your world, saved your eternity. Gaze upon His beauty this morning. Worship God. Seek Him. Investigate who He is and what He wants to do in your life. I invite you this morning. We're going to pray and then we're going to go to the, to the rest of the service. Whatever that looks like that you need to, to do as you maybe come to the altar and pray or whatever it looks like for you. I don't know, but just let God lead you. Let God speak this morning and respond to God. Seek, pursue God. Be in pursuit of God beginning today for the rest of your life. God, I pray that you would take this message, pierce our hearts, penetrate our lives. Lord, change us today. Don't let us leave here the same as when we came in, God. I pray that you would help us to pursue you above anything and anyone else, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good leaders.